So brothers and sisters, last time we took Romans 5, 1 through 11, uh, as a whole, as our sermon text. This morning, we, as I said, narrow it to verses 1 through 5. Uh, we took the whole passage last time to hear and learn the good news of reconciliation. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, that's, that's reconciliation. It's, it's not until verses 10 and 11 that we actually hear the words reconciled and reconciliation. But, but that's what Paul is teaching even from the start when he, when he proclaims in verse 1 that through Christ we have peace with God. The story is told of, uh, of the American writer, uh, and poet, uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, that upon his deathbed, he was asked by a minister, uh, have you made your peace with God? And he answered, I didn't know that we had quarreled. If you search it online, you, uh, you might find that sometimes it's attributed even to Daniel Boone. Uh, so maybe they both said it in one form or another, but it, but it sums up where people are. Uh, why do I need peace with God? Or to put it another way, why is the doctrine of reconciliation part of the good news of Jesus Christ? The irony, the, the bitter irony, is that Thoreau uh, purportedly said these words even upon his deathbed. Uh, it cannot be doubted that there are those who reject Christ and the gospel, uh, who manage to face death and, and die without anxiety. We can try to be one of them, but most unbelief is brash and bold throughout life until death. The reason is, as Paul teaches in the early chapters of Romans, is that we, we all really do know. We, we only suppress the truth. We know there is a God. His creation testifies to it. We know our Creator is also our judge. Our conscience bears witness to it. And death itself is the great confirmation. Why does death bother us? So what if we die? And yet we don't want to die. We, we somehow recognize that death is entirely unnatural and entirely inappropriate for human beings. We all understand this, although some are better than others at putting on a brave face with Henry David Thoreau perhaps as their patron saint. I was recently at a funeral for the father of a childhood friend of mine, and, uh, and you know me, I was emotional, but thankfully there was an elder of the church there. And, uh, and this elder saw my tears and sought to comfort me by saying, yes, it's sad, it's sad, but don't forget, death is just another part of life. Can we all agree that that's just nonsense? 
Can we, can we not hear the contradiction? Death is the opposite of life. Death is the end of life. And if we are willing to accept it from God's word and admit it, death is the wages of sin. Death is judgment from God. And physical death, when, when the heart stops beating and, and the sinner no longer breathes, it's just the entrance into eternal death and hell. This is the teaching of God's word in the earliest chapters of Romans. How will we hear the good news unless we face up to what, according to the Apostle Paul, we already know? Some people are better than others at suppressing the truth. But it's what we already know by creation and by conscience. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we hear the good news of reconciliation? Why is reconciliation good news? Because we are sinners under the judgment and the wrath of God. But Christ has made propitiation for our sins. Remember propitiation. Christ has suffered and died on the cross to take and to turn. To take the judgment of God upon himself and to turn the wrath of God away from us. And so we have been redeemed. Remember redemption. Christ has redeemed us by his propitiation. He has bought us back by his blood. In sin, we belong to Satan. By the blood of Christ, we belong to Christ. We are redeemed and belong to him forever. And so we are justified. Remember justification. The very righteousness of Christ is counted to those for whom propitiation has been made, for whom Redemption has come. And therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, not only do we have a relationship of of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also stand in grace, says Paul. We live every day reconciled to God, and we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can be sure of the glory of heaven. This is reconciliation. It's it's a relationship of peace with God. And it's also a life lived at peace with God. What about my sin? It's forgiven. And you are righteous in Christ. What about my doubt? Well, Quit doubting and believe, said Jesus to Thomas. All of this to review, of course, but also to move from justification, which comes upon the moment of faith, to move then to the life of faith. It's one thing to to walk the aisle, as they say, and, and receive Christ by faith and be justified. But how do you live by faith? How do you live by faith, especially when life is full of suffering? And how does one live a life in which suffering is even increased? 
by faith in Christ. This is Paul's concern, and therefore ours, as we continue in Romans chapter 5. So let this be the first point, that suffering produces endurance. Romans 5 verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Paul was no pie-in-the-sky preacher. Uh, He never preached, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. If he had, he would have been contradicting his Lord, because Jesus said, no servant is above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So Paul is preaching peace here, but... But what kind of peace? Peace with the world? No, peace with God. By way of propitiation, redemption, justification, and reconciliation, we have peace with God. We have peace with God, but we are at war with the world. But the peace that we have with God is greater than the battles we fight in the Christian life, and even as we suffer, so suffering produces endurance. Now, surely, uh, Paul knew what we know, that for some who confess Christ, suffering produces not endurance, but apostasy. There are those who suffer, and as a result, they turn back. I think here of Pliable in Pilgrim's Progress, who fell into the slew of despond along with Christian. Christian continued on, pliable, turned back. Paul was no dummy, as we say. Uh, He knew that suffering often produces turning back. So what is his point here by saying that suffering produces endurance? Well, his, his point is that you haven't really endured until there has been some pressure upon you not to endure. Until you have suffered for your faith, you haven't endured, you've only just first believed. So you're walking, 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 no problems. You just continue walking, well and good, but what happens, uh, or, or, or what if it happens this way, walking, 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 and, and, and a dog comes out to chase you. You have to run. And endure. Uh, What if walking, 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 and it starts raining, and yet you endure? Uh, What if walking, 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 it gets cold, the temperature drops below freezing, and yet you endure? Uh, What if walking, 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 uh, and someone starts following you, and yet you endure? This is what Paul means, that suffering produces endurance. Not that suffering never causes someone to turn back and no longer follow Jesus, but that endurance in faith only happens when there's opposition. Now, granted, the the previous scenarios are, are metaphorical. What about the real sufferings of life? First, you have to struggle through childhood into adolescence. When you discover, so you think, that mom and dad don't don't understand you and don't know enough to give you instruction and advice. 
So if you continue walking, you have to suffer. Maybe the loss of friendship. You can't do everything your friends are doing. Your your friends whose parents are not Christians. Then there's young adulthood, and you have to struggle with being chaste. Uh, desires within you are putting great pressure on you to give up the walk of faith, but you endure. Then you enter adulthood. The boss wants you to do something contrary to God's word, but you endure. Then middle age, you're getting older and your spouse hasn't met your expectations, relational, sexual, or otherwise, but you, you look to the pleasures of heaven rather than to the pleasures of adultery. Finally, you're old. Your life is mostly past you now. Death is drawing near. Do you keep walking, walking, walking? Or do you turn and grab at the world in your last dying days? Throughout the average, common Christian life, suffering either produces apostasy, turning back, turning away from Christ, or it produces endurance. If suffering produces endurance, then endurance produces character. The second point. Verse 3 again, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. The connection that Paul is making here is is that the longer we endure, the, the more we build our character. In fact, I think this is uh, where the expression uh, build character comes from. Maybe not from just this one verse, but from this, this teaching throughout God's word that, that character, is, um, uh, character is the record of who you are. Endurance comes out of suffering, but as we endure in faith, we build character. By our endurance, others can see that we are serious about our faith. And perhaps even more important, we can see that our faith is real. The Apostle Peter says something of the same thing in 2 Peter 1 verse uh, 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. He writes, therefore, because he has just called upon believers to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. To put it another way, Peter first calls his readers to endure and then says that endurance produces character with character being the thing that allows us to be more sure. It probably doesn't help us that in our culture the word character has come to mean just interesting. Oh, he is quite the character, someone says meaning he is funny, he is interesting, Uh, it's good to be around that person. 
Or the word character only means a, a person in a story. Uh, a good writer works hard at character development, helping the reader to know and understand the person's acting within the plot, whether a novel or a short story. But as Paul uses the word character, he is talking about the, the positive characteristics revealed as a person endures. As a believer endures as he or she suffers, his or her character as a believer is revealed. And so next is character produces hope, which we have already started in on, uh, going back to Second Peter 1 at the risk of switching sermon text on you. Uh, we can hear from Peter to help us understand Paul. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, writes Peter. Another way to put it is, make sure you endure. Peter was probably writing to those who were suffering for their faith far more than the believers in Rome to whom Paul was writing. And so Peter calls upon his readers to be all the more. That's endurance. Be all the more diligent. And, and here's the reason, or at least one very important reason. Be all the more diligent in order to make your calling and election sure. In other words, by your endurance, you will generate character, and your character, by enduring, will give you the greater hope. We usually think of our obedience, even our prolonged, enduring obedience, simply as our duty. It's what we owe to God. And that's true. We, we do owe our obedience, our enduring obedience to God. Look at Christ's obedience, his, his prolonged obedience, obedience even unto death, even death on the cross. Uh, looking at Christ's endurance, surely we owe him our endure, endurance for him. But both Paul and Peter call upon us to obey, to endure for our own sakes as well. The longer we live by faith, the more sure we become of our faith. And the greater our hope. Peter puts it this way, continuing Continuing on in 2 Peter 1, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter was no pie-in-the-sky preacher either. His point is not that if we just try hard enough, we will never fall to sin. Instead, he is saying that the longer we live by faith, enduring in faith, producing character by endurance, the less we will fall to doubt and to discouragement and to the temptation to despair. And when Peter writes next, For in this way there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he is not saying that we earn our salvation in heaven by our endurance, but we earn, so to speak, our greater hope. Suffering produces endurance. You haven't endured until you have suffered. And when you suffer and endure, so endurance produces character. 
Character is what others know about you, but more important, what you know about you. And character produces hope. When we find faith within ourselves and when faith is confirmed through suffering and by endurance and in our character. And so in the end, hope does not produce shame. Hope does not produce shame. Back now to Romans 5. This really is the sermon text. Uh, Verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame. So suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And what kind of hope? Is it only the hope that says, well, I can only hope. No, this hope does not put us to shame. Once again, Paul is differentiating between the world's hope and the sure hope of the gospel. The hope we have in Christ does not, will not, put us to shame. Imagine you're standing on the platform of a train station. I used to live in Chicago, so I know this scenario. You're standing on the platform waiting for the train. And you announce to the others uh, waiting with you, the train is going to come in one minute. 60 seconds, everyone, until the train comes. Okay, let's start the countdown. 60, 59, 58, 57, 56. Maybe a few people start counting down with you. Everyone else just rolls their eyes. Another drunken man on the train station. But lo and behold, at the count of 20, 19, 18, the train comes around the bend and begins to slow down. And as the count reaches 3, 2, 1, 0, the train comes to a stop in front of the amazed eyes of everyone. This is what Paul means when he says that our hope will not put us to shame. Imagine the the shame of saying the train is going to come in 60 seconds and the train doesn't come. Maybe not for another five minutes. Ha ha, well, that was fun when when it lasted. But Paul says that our hope will not put us to shame. Christ will come. And we have hope for that day. We have a sure hope for that day. And of course, the illustration doesn't work in the sense that we we don't know when he will come. We can't count it down from any number of seconds. But he will come. And everyone knows it. Everyone knows that judgment will come. The only question is whether it will be a final judgment for us or against us. God's word says we can be sure that when the train stops, it will will come at just the right time. And the train will stop for us. And we will get on the train. We have a hope even now 
that that hope will not put us to shame. And here's the reason, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To this point, Paul has been focusing on what we do. We suffer. We endure. So our character is revealed and we hope. But in the end, Paul says solely Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. In the end, God has the glory because it is only by His work through Christ, by His Holy Spirit, that we have a sure hope. And isn't that interesting that it's because of Christ that we suffer? If you don't want to suffer, that's easy. Don't follow Christ. But as you follow Christ and suffer for it, and as you, en- as you endure in following Christ, and as endurance builds character, and as character produces hope, so give glory to God for what He has done by His Spirit within you. Final applications. First, expect suffering as a believer in Christ. It will come to you in two ways. To start, because like every other person on earth, you are a vapor in this life. The psalmist in Psalm 90 says that the span of our years is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. But suffering will also come because you are a Christian, because you are following Christ. God's Word says that we must not be surprised by the trials We endure as believers in Christ. We are living among those who hate the one whom we love. And if they hate him, why should they love us? Second, endure. Endure. Don't let suffering make you quit. Instead, see that suffering produces endurance. Suffering, in a sense, gives you the opportunity for endurance And endurance has great value. It has this benefit that it builds character. So third, build character. Endure for the sake of honoring and serving Christ, but endure to build character so that you can see that the Holy Spirit has been poured into you. Don't build character in order to say, look at me. Build your character in order to say to others, look at Christ. Look at what Christ has done for me and what he has done in me. Fourth, take hope. We have that expression, don't we? Take hope. Hope is given us by God in Christ, but we must be active in hope. Quit doubting and believe said Jesus. Believe to start on the basis of God's word, telling you, proclaiming to you what God has done in Christ for your salvation. But believe all the more as suffering produces endurance and as endurance produces character and as character produces hope. Fifth, 
And so finally, give glory to God. Believe, suffer, endure, build character, and take hope. But in the end, give glory to God. Because God has loved you. And He has poured into your heart His Holy Spirit through your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Again, we thank you, O God our Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. Grant that we would understand this salvation more and more and grant that we would grow and deepen in our hope. May our hope be based upon Christ and His finished work, but may it grow by way of seeing Your work in our hearts and lives as we live for Christ and seek Your glory until the very end. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.